right. Boy, it's good to be with you this morning. I was in Holland, Michigan yesterday and decided to venture out for home at 7 o'clock last night. Did any of the rest of you drive last night? That was a foolish time to drive. It was not a good, not a good trip for us. It took us a long time, but we're happy to make it home. Um, there was some thought about, hmm, is this bad enough I can justify turning around, going back, and making Pat preach again? And I decided probably not. I should probably come back, but uh, God kept us safe, and we're very thankful for that, um, and many of you as well. We have been talking through um, the book of 1 John. We took a little break last week so that Pat could share some words with us, some thoughts with us uh, from his heart, and we appreciate him stepping in to do that. And as Brian uh, said, and as you saw in the pictures, uh, our youth had a great time at youth convention, had a, a really memorable experience, and we're hoping, again, that a lot of fruit will come from that. Oh, man, I got this thing really high all of a sudden. But um, we're going to continue our study today. And so what we've been looking at in 1 John up to this point, we, we've kind of looked at a, an introduction where John introduced who Jesus was to us, and then we kind of talked through some other things. But now we're in this, this, the bulk of the book, which is all about three tests that John gives to these people to determine whether they are living under the, 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 the right um, theology, whether they're living under the right... Um, Oh my goodness, my brain is blanking on me. Whether they're basically living under the grace of God and doing what they need to do and being who they need to be so that they can follow Jesus in a way that is appropriate. But the other reason he's giving them these tests is because there's some people that have been teaching in that church that are not teaching the truth. They've been teaching falsehoods. And so John is giving them these tests so that they can determine if these people as well as themselves are living under the truth that they're supposed to be living for. And so we've talked about so far the moral test. Are they doing what they say they're going to do? In other words, are they living up to the standard or are they just talking about it? We've talked about the social test. Is there love in their hearts? And 1 John says very clearly that if you cannot love God or cannot love man, who you can see, how in the world are you supposed to love God whom you've not seen? And, and so the love was the second test. The third test is um, the doctrinal test, um, the belief test, so to speak. And we're going to start, we're going to pick up the story in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. And we're going to read 18 through 27. And again, we're going to jump around a little bit to cover the three different places where John kind of touches on this doctrinal test or this belief test. So let's start out in verse 18, and we'll kind of stop along the way and point out and look at some of the things that we have. And again, I hope you're enjoying this kind of more Bible study format. I got to tell you, it keeps me on my toes. I'd much rather have something completely laid out, ready to go, but having to, to kind of interact with the text is exciting, and it's fun, and it brings out some things that we wouldn't have found otherwise. So I hope you're kind of getting some things from that. Dear children, he says, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And already many such antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. Now, very quickly, I want to stop there and just kind of get two things out of the way. First of all, don't let that word antichrist kind of trip you up. Now, if you grew up in the church of God, you might remember that as you were growing up in the church of God, our, our uh, outlook on the future of, of the coming of Christ is what we call amillennial. 
If you don't know what that means, it's okay. I know some Church of God pastors that I'm pretty sure don't know what that means either, but it has to do with our view of what the end time will look like. But let me just share this with you. I believe that the end times and all of the stuff that people love to argue about and fight about and write fictions about and write movies about, most of that stuff can be left for the day that Jesus actually returns. Can I just say that? I think that all the speculation that we do about how Jesus is going to return is overwhelmed and, and unqualified by the fact that Jesus simply said to keep our lamps trimmed and burning. In other words, be ready when he comes. And Jesus makes it very clear that in order to be ready when he returns, we need to make sure that we are living out the faith that, that we read about in Scripture. Now, the word antichrist is one of those buzzwords that kind of pops up in different conversations about the end times. And what I want to point to is the fact that John doesn't just say the antichrist. There is that one place in there where he says that. The next thing that he says about it is there are many, what? antichrist okay from church of god perspective this is what we believe and i'm not saying it's absolutely right because we believe it but this is kind of our take on things we believe that there have been and will be many antichrists in the greek it simply means someone who is against christ as you might imagine that's the easiest greek you'll ever have to do antichrist against christ there have been many throughout history and even John, a little bit later, will tell us that those antichrists have already been in the world, even during his time. And I believe there are people throughout the course of history that have opposed Christ and everything that he is about. And you could probably name a few. I mean, Hitler comes to mind, you know, some of these guys that, that just literally overtook history with their thoughts and feelings and ideas that were absolutely contrary to the church of Jesus Christ and all that he taught. And so don't get hung up on this word antichrist. Is there going to be one supreme figure who opposes Jesus and, and does all of this stuff at the end times in the last battle? That is a conversation for a class on prophecy and revelation that we will deal with another time. Don't let that trip you up for now. As we move forward in that, the second thing that I want to kind of draw out of this is, is to look at simply the way that John deals with the fact that some people have left their fellowship. I don't know about you, but it seems like leaving churches is what people do these days. It just happens, you know, and it, it's kind of a sign of the times. We are a people in America especially who like to, you know, kind of go wherever we're led. We want to go to a place where our needs can be met, and we want to kind of just you know, go from the buffet, I, I guess is what you call it. Some of us pastors, we probably shouldn't describe it that way, but sometimes us pastors, we talk about the church buffet. If you don't like what they're serving here, you just go somewhere else. It, we're joking about it. But let me say this without any, any joking <laughs> at all and, and just set all of that aside for a moment and tell you this. Every church that I've served, I've had people who've left. Every, every single one, even the one that I only preached at and they didn't want me to do anything else. They just said, show up on Sunday and preach. That's what we want. Here's your hundred bucks for the week. That's all. I was in seminary. I needed, you know, job and they needed a pastor. They didn't want a pastor. They just wanted a preacher. So I went over there and I preached from even in that church. I, I've had people who have left every church that I've ever served. And let me tell you without qualification that every single time it hurts like crazy. That is one of the deepest hurts that a pastor feels is when someone leaves, especially if we think it was because of something that we did. But let me just tell you this. What I've learned in all of those years, it, it, it's a simple truth, and that is this, that people will come and people will go in the church. It's just a fact of life. 
And the way that John deals with this is kind of ingenious because he simply says this. Listen, um, these people left our churches, but listen to what he says. They never really belonged with us. How do we know? Well, otherwise they, wouldn't, they would have stayed with us. Well, if they belonged here, they would have stayed here. You say, well, that's pretty simplistic logic, Pastor. Yes, it is. It's very simplistic logic. If they were supposed to be here, they'd be here. So why aren't they here? Well, must be that they weren't supposed to be here. That's what he says. Look, he says, if um, when they left, it proved that they did not necessarily belong with us. Now, here's the problem. And, and as a pastor, this is my first instinct. When I was a young pastor, every time somebody would leave my church, I just, man, I gotta go get them. I gotta bring them back. I gotta talk them into it. I gotta find a way. I gotta pull them back. I gotta find out what went wrong and fix it. And guess what happened most of the time when I tried to do that? nothing. All that I did is put them into a corner, paint them into a corner by asking them why they left so that they had to make up some reason that was churchy and acceptable rather than just simply telling me, look, we just wanted to try somewhere else. And what I learned in that experience is this. There isn't anything that I can do sometimes to keep people from leaving. Sometimes I just have to recognize that they are in the presence of God or or it's up to the Spirit of God whether or not the Spirit is going to draw them here or whether He's going to draw them somewhere else. And if they are being led by the Spirit and they are obedient to the Spirit, then who am I to say that they should stay if the Spirit is saying go? Amen? But by the same token, if they're not listening to the Spirit, then maybe at some point the Spirit will talk to them and they'll come back. Who knows? But whatever the case, it's not up to me to decide. And I think sometimes as churches, we get so caught up in chasing the people that have left that we forget that there's a whole community full of people that have never even met Jesus that we really ought to be spending that time on instead of chasing people who've left by their own choice, by their own volition, maybe by the calling of the Spirit. We don't know. And instead, focus on the people that God has called us to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to want to throw those things out of there and get them out of the way. Let's pick up in verse 20. But you are not like that, he said. In other words, you're not people who didn't belong with us. You did not have that feeling. You did not have that compulsion to go somewhere else. You belong with us. He says, you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you his spirit and all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you, he says, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the truth the difference, I'm sorry, between truth and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone that says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Not the antichrist, an antichrist. Someone who is against Christ. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life He promised us. And so staying faithful to what they were originally taught about Jesus will help them to be with the Son, with the Father, and in the fellowship of believers. Verse 24. Um, I'm sorry, verse 26. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray, but you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know and what it teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. The test that John is giving these people is the test of belief. What do you believe? Is it important? For us to know what we believe. Is it important what we believe? 
There are lots of churches out there that, that are kind of passing this whole idea of, well, you know, as long as you love Jesus and you love other people, it really doesn't matter what you believe. Now, I would agree with part of that statement. I believe that the most important thing, according to Jesus, is that we love God and love our neighbor. I think that he said those are the first two commandments. Do you remember me preaching about, on that like 8,000 times? Anybody ever heard that before? Love God, love your neighbor. It's the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like unto it. One is how you do the other. You love God by loving other people, and you love other people by your love for God, because only by loving him can we truly know how to love other people. I can't love Pat with all of his, his faults and foibles unless I have first experienced the love of God for myself. Okay, so love God and love others. The problem is this. Some people want to take that and just run with that and throw everything out the window. Listen, it does matter what you believe. And doctrine is important. Now, interestingly enough, as John is pointing to the doctrine that he wants them to use as the test, it's really only one thing. He doesn't point to any of the doctrines that we fight about today. End time stuff, eternal security, Wesleyan versus Calvin. Have any of you ever heard any of these words or am I just spouting? I don't know. These are all things that people that grew up in the church maybe have heard about. But it used to be, you know, we, we've got colleges and universities that employ full-time people to do nothing but have arguments over theology. Are you aware of this? Like, there was this um, rumor that years ago during one of the councils in the church, they actually had a debate about how many angels could, could fit on the head of a pin. I mean, what use is that, right? Everybody knows it's 20. I mean, come on. I have no idea. Don't care. But, you know, we, we sometimes make a, a, a matter of like a, 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 a... What's the word for a job, Pat? What am I, a career. We make a career out of arguing. Sorry, my brain is really not in gear this morning. And, and that's not the point here. He brings up one item of theology, one item of belief. He says there's one thing you must believe. Did you pick up on what it was? That Jesus is who he says he was. He said, if you don't get the idea of Jesus right, if you don't get the theology of Jesus right, if you don't understand and believe who Jesus is and hold to that, then you're going to have a problem. Error, the error of their belief was that Jesus was not the Christ in some way. The Spirit, he says, teaches you what is right. Now, it's interesting when he says the words, you know, all you need is the Spirit. The Spirit can teach you the truth. You don't need anybody to teach you. I think we have to be careful with that because what he's talking about is in this particular case and about this particular topic. It's not that there shouldn't be teachers in the church. It's that when we hear somebody teach, the Spirit is the one who gives us the, the nod that that person is actually on the right track. Have you ever listened to a speaker a preacher, and I know I'm opening myself up to something here because some of you might point to me and go, yep. Have you ever listened to a preacher and they said, this is what the Bible says, and then they said something and you went, I'm not sure that is what the Bible says. You ever been listening to someone teach about religion or faith or Christianity and something deep down in your soul just goes, I don't know about that. I, I, that doesn't sound right to me. You know what I think that is? I think it's healthy skepticism prompted by the Spirit of God that lives inside of you to go and check it out for yourself and find out whether that person is actually telling the truth. And, and I think you should do that whenever you hear someone teach or preach. And I have encouraged you from this pulpit to do that on me. 
And I'm happy to say up to this point, nobody has ever come to me and said, hey, you preached the wrong thing. At least I can't remember anybody. If you did that, come and see me afterwards and I'll renege on that next week. But friends, if you ever hear me say something that doesn't sound quite right, that might be the Spirit of God helping you to challenge yourself to dig deeper and find out so you can come tell me that I screwed up. I might have messed up. I, I, I have faults. I make mistakes. Ask my wife. It happens. Every time we hear someone teach, the Spirit of God helps us to know whether or not what we're hearing is of, of God or of not. Let, let's go on. 1 John 4, 1 through 6. This is much later in the book, but again, it almost sounds like the same conversation. Dear friends, he says, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. <clears throat> so not only is every message you hear not necessarily the truth, you need to also be skeptical of some of the people who are speaking the truth. You must test them to see if the Spirit that they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God. There's some good news in all of this, right? You belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because, listen to this, the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. We're going to come back to that. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint. And the world listens to them, but we belong to God. And those who know God listen to us. If they, don't, if they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. So what's he saying? He's essentially saying, listen, don't believe everyone. Don't listen to everyone. Don't believe everything that you hear. Test them. Try them. And the test should always be this. What do they believe? What do they acknowledge about Jesus? If they acknowledge that Jesus came in a real body. Now, why does he get that specific? You know, I, I always like to think through these things. Why is John using that as a specific example? You know, if they deny that Jesus had a real body, were there people claiming that Jesus didn't have a real body back then? No, I'm seriously, I'm asking you. Does anybody know? Was there people? I'm kidding. You guys are really sleepy this morning. Was it the snow? It must be the snow. Listen, I'm just going to give you a clue. There were tons of people saying that back then. In fact, there were so many variants of the teaching of Jesus that it was tough to even know what to believe. There were people who were teaching that Jesus came to earth as a human being and was just a normal human being until the day that he started his public ministry. And when he was baptized in the Nile, then the Spirit of God descended on him. And before he went to the cross, the Spirit of God went back to heaven. And after that point, he was just a normal human being. There was that teaching, which is wrong because we believe in something called the Incarnation. We believe that Jesus, that God himself, came down and wrapped himself in a human form, which we will celebrate at Christmas after we celebrate Thanksgiving. You know why we're having all this snow, don't you? Because my son put up his Christmas tree already. I saw that on Facebook. If you put your Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving, it means snow in November. It's apparently like the groundhog thing. Nothing, huh? Nothing? You're not going to give me anything? All right, we'll just move on then. Anyway, Jesus wrapped himself in human flesh, came as a baby, lived a humble life, lived and, and was tempted and tried in every way as we are, 
yet without sin. And that he went to the cross as fully God and fully man, died a gruesome death, but then rose again three days later. That's what we believe, the, the doctrine of the incarnation. But there were people during John's time who did not believe in that. They wanted to separate flesh from body because there was a train of thought that said, all flesh is evil and everything that is spirit is good. And so in order to, to reconcile those things, they had to try to separate Jesus' divinity from his humanity. And I got news for you. You can't do that. It doesn't work. Jesus isn't Jesus unless he is fully God and fully man. And, and so when John gets that specific, it's because there were people that were literally teaching the wrong thing about who Jesus was and what he was and his nature in this world. And so there was this error that he's trying to correct. And the test that he gave them was, until you believe the right stuff about Jesus, you're in serious trouble. Um, there were all these different philosophies that he was trying to contradict. Um, and I love the fact that he says they already have the victory over the false teachers because the spirit that lives in them is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. Friends, there is a spirit that comes from God and there is a spirit that comes from the world. And the spirit that we have from God is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. That is some good news, isn't it? unless you don't believe in spirits at all, unless you don't believe that God fills us, but I do. I believe with all my heart that he does. Um, and, and we can kind of put it in this realm. He, he does this long conversation about people listening to different spirits. Um, Jesus said when he was here that the shepherd knows his sheep. Do you remember this conversation? The shepherd knows his sheep, and the sheep know the shepherd's voice, and so the sheep follow their shepherd. And in, in early Palestine, man, it was just this craziness of all these sheep and all these shepherds, and from the image we get from historians what would happen is these shepherds would literally just call out to their sheep and even though the sheep were all intermixed they would just divide and follow their shepherd as their shepherd led them away from the rest of the herds you know and I'm sure that every once in a while the sheep got mixed up or something but for the most part the sheep learned to follow the voice of their shepherd and what Jesus or what John is kind of saying here is almost like the same thing he says listen if the spirit of the world is in you when you hear the voice of the world calling you're going to follow that voice and you're going to act in such a way that that voice would want you to act. And you're going to become more like the world instead of becoming more like Jesus. But if you're following Jesus, if the Spirit of God lives in you, then when you hear the Spirit of God speaking, when you hear God's voice, then you're going to automatically follow Him. Because in this world, we're a bunch of mixed up sheep. Amen? Amen? Anybody there? Patsy, only one given. All right, so we're mixed up. Listen, in this world, there are people who are following Jesus and there are people that are not following Jesus. There are people that think they're following Jesus and, and some that don't know if they're following Jesus. There's all these people together. But the way that you can tell whether they're following the shepherd is are they listening to the Spirit of God when it speaks? When they hear the voice of God, do they follow the shepherd? Or when they hear the voice of the spirit of this world, the spirit of selfishness, the spirit of ambition, the spirit of pride, are they following that voice? And so the voice that people follow is an indication of what they believe. And John's trying to tell them, listen, if you listen to the spirit of God, then you are one of his children. I'm not going to cover the next few verses. Um, well, I'll give, you, I'll give you a couple more. And God has given us this spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. They live in God 
We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. From that verse on through 21, John actually jumps back to the love conversation. I'll let you read that on your own if you want to, because we've kind of already covered that when I was going to hit it again, but we're out of time. So here's the deal, my friends. It does matter what you believe. Most specifically, it matters what you believe about the person and the nature of Jesus more than anything else. Because if you get Jesus right, I really believe that everything else will fall into place. I I grew up in a Baptist school and a Church of God church. I had theological debates with my teachers, with other students. I had a theological debate every day when I went to school pretty much about all kinds of stuff that you know what I've discovered in my old age? really didn't matter. The one thing that matters is that I love Jesus because if I follow his example, all the theology will pretty much work itself out as I read scripture and as I listen to the Spirit of God. And so the question becomes, for this doctrinal test, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that he is God incarnate, come to save this world? Or do you believe that he was just a good teacher? Or that somehow God's spirit descended on him for a minute and then left? If we believe who Jesus is and we put our faith in him, then we are children of God. And that should give us confidence to live as lights in this world. Would you pray with me? Our God, we thank you this morning for again another text where John just kind of lays bare the truth for us. And Lord, just as there were voices that were teaching incorrect teachings back then, there are many voices teaching today that we really should not be following. And yet some of those voices sound so good. They sound so right sometimes. And yet deep down in our souls, Lord, I believe that that you've given us the ability to discern the truth from lies. I pray that you would help us to listen to your spirit, not not just to go with our gut or our emotions because those things can lead us astray, but to listen to the prompting of your spirit living inside us as we hear people teach and as we see people live out the truth. I pray that you would help us to more than anything else follow Jesus, to put our faith in Jesus, to live by the example of Jesus and to do the things that he said were the most important. To love our neighbor as ourself, to love God with all of our heart. All of those things that that would make us look more like Jesus. When the Spirit calls God, I pray that you would help us to be a church and, and help us to be individuals who answer that call because we recognize the voice of our shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming out on a snowy day today. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And if you're joining us online, thank you for joining us as well. Have a great day.